I think uh, you and I and a lot of our listeners are attracted to what we're talking about because of the freedom aspect. And what is freedom really? It's like, I do what I want. Like, don't tell me what to, don't tell me what to do. Hello and welcome to the Optimal Agency Podcast. My name is Patrick Cummings. I'm joined as always by John Gilson. Together with you, we are exploring the ideas of agency, diving deep to discover a set of guidelines on how each of us can best operate in the day-to-day to maximize our personal autonomy, professional freedom, and ultimately our positive impact on the world. Thank you so much for tuning into the show this week. How are you, John? I'm amped, Patrick. I'm amped. Amped. Well caffeinated. That's how we are today. Uh, which is important because we're going to talk about taxes. And I feel like in a conversation about taxes, you at least need to be well caffeinated. I, I do it for the intrinsic interest. <laughs> All right. So uh, we're going to dive back into our rules of wealth uh, just as a general overview for folks who maybe are new. We have been going through each one of the six rules of wealth as we have also been going through the, uh, the rules of health and the rules of time freedom. Just as a reminder, the rules of wealth, number one, separate your time from your income. Number two, make as much as you're able. Number three, spend much less than you make. Number four, what we're going to talk about this week, pay as few taxes as you can. Number five, purchase passive income and appreciating assets with your savings. And lastly, let compounding do its work. If you would like to read uh, more about all of those rules and all the rules in general, head to optimalagency.co slash rules and you will get all of them. I would like to start this conversation with something that you and I have talked about before, and I'm, I'm going to quote you to you and pardon me for doing so. But um, this is something we've t- we, you said to me uh, when we talked about taxes before. You said taxes are a four-letter word that has five letters in it. People avoid taxes because it feels like something punitive for having made money and because people usually don't see the benefit of them. So I thought that would be a good entry point into this conversation about taxes. Take that for what you will, and let's dive in. There's a cultural zeitgeist in America that taxes are a bad thing. And I think it's worth understanding two things. One, what are they for, right? Why do, why do I pay them? Uh, the next thing to understand is that there's a difference between disliking paying something and having a license not to understand it and having a license not to optimize against it. And I think it's really easy to conflate the two things. It's easy to say, hey, you know, by way of analogy, I don't like running, so I'm never going to go jogging. The difference here is running's optional and taxes aren't. And so I need you to like it whether you do or not. And the reason's really <laughs> simple. You will either make more money by getting a raise or you'll make more money by keeping the money you're already making. One of those two things is just easier. And so if you can optimize your behavior against taxation and let go of essentially the bad ramifications or the that bad self-identification around that, you'll in fact just make more money to have more money to invest and you'll be kicking off that self-perpetuating cycle of wealth building. I want to get into some of the strategies to actually start to do this, to start to follow this rule of pay, paying as few taxes as we can. But what you just said is really interesting to me in the sense of like, <laughs> I know you don't like running, but you have to run, right? I know you don't like taxes, but you do need to understand taxes. Any advice on how to connect things that do matter to this thing that we don't want to make matter, right? In other words, any advice on how to get our minds around, get get our head around caring enough about taxes to understand them? Mm -hmm. Patrick, you're getting a $15,000 tax refund. 
Right. So if I say that mm -hmm. to you, all of a sudden taxes go from being a bad thing in your mind to a good <laughs> thing because you're getting a check for yes. 15 grand. Right. Uh, and I think that when we understand at the end of the day that this is really a cash flow problem, right? Are you keeping more of the money you're earning that it's easy to get there? I think though, to connect it to our rules of wealth, what we want to think about is, okay, so we've told you to make as much money as you're able. And then we've told you to spend much less than you make. The difference being your savings rate. The higher your savings rate, the faster you build wealth and passive income. The faster you build passive income, the freer you are. You can think about being good at taxes as essentially having more savings to increase your savings rate because those dollars that you pay out to your municipality, to your state, to the federal government are dollars you'll never see again. So every one of them that you're able to capture back is freedom in the form of investable assets to create passive income to give you ultimately that break we're talking about, which is set separating your time from your income. Before we dive into the strategies, and I've, I've got a couple that you and I have chatted about before, and anything else about taxes, about this particular rule that makes sense before we get into some of the nitty gritty, the, some of the tactical stuff? Yeah. I think it's worth talking about, first of all, uh, as I alluded to, why do taxes exist? Okay. So taxes are, in essence, a wealth redistribution mechanism. What they do is they first fund infrastructure, they fund the roads, they fund your sewer, they fund the water, the electrical grid, all the things that would fall prey to what's called the tragedy of the commons if taxes mm. didn't exist. In other words, none of us are incentivized alone and unfairly to pay for, let's call it the power plant uh, that, that powers our homes. But all of us together are incentivized to do it. And some of us have more money than others. And so the tax code is set up initially to tax the wealthier at a higher rate than those with uh, less wealth or less income, probably more accurately, and to bring that money together into a pool that funds our common needs. And so infrastructure, safety, your police, fire, etc. So understand you are paying for something. Right. You're paying for the fact the stoplights downtown work. <laughs> you know, you're not running into each other. You're paying for the fact that the U.S. Navy is in the Taiwan Strait, keeping the Chinese from taking over uh, Taiwan. And therefore, frankly, the main manufacturers of every piece of electronic gear you're currently looking at. So there's a rationale for it. I think the other thing to understand about taxes is that there are really two different tax systems. And this is a bit of a false construct, but it, it is accurate. There's one for people who are investors and there's one for people who make their money by working. So there's income taxes mm -hmm. and then there's capital gains and dividends taxes. And just by way of illustration, do you know what the top income tax bracket is in the United States by percentage? I do you, not. You do not. Yeah. <laughs> what? It's... <laughs> <laughs> It's 37%. Okay. The top bracket for capital gains, which is taxes levied on investment gains on investments that are held more than a year, the top tax rate's 20%. Okay, so yep. what does that mean? It means that a dollar you earn from capital gains, you get to keep 80 cents of. And if you're at the top of the tax brackets, a dollar that you earn from working, uh, you get to keep 63 cents of. And so one of those is a better deal than the other. And the tax system mm -hmm. is structured so that essentially 
you will participate in capital formation. You will participate in investing in the next big companies within the United States uh, through an S&P index fund, through uh, investing in privately held businesses. And as a reward for taking that risk, you'll pay less taxes when you win. Well, the secret is with index funds anyway, uh, large amalgamations of the entire economy, that over time, over you know 20 and 30 year spans, you always win even though you're taking that risk. And so the tax code mm -hmm. says you're going to pay roughly half the taxes that you would on the, on what you make from working if you become part of the investor class. And so what we want to do is we want to make as much as we're able. We want to spend much less than we make. Part of spending less than you make is not paying it in taxes. We want to invest the difference. And then we become the people who are taxed at a lower rate when the majority of our dollars in the door, which we don't care how they're classified, are taxed less. You hinted at it, but I think it's worth unpacking a little bit, which is the the incentive structure that kind of underpins the, the, the tax structure, at least again, here in the US. And by which I mean, the investor class, as you just put it, is incentivized, or the tax code incentivizes people to be in the investor class. That's a disconnect that I don't think a lot of people recognize, that we think without thinking, Ah, taxes, they suck and they're unfair. And But like they make sense in the way they make sense, but you've got to understand what they're trying to accomplish. So can you just talk a little bit more about what are they trying to accomplish and maybe why, again, you can make arguments for and against whatever, but but why the argument is like this, is, this makes sense because of this. Yeah. So uh, democratic capitalism is the most successful structure at creating economic productivity in the history of the world. The United States per capita is literally per person the richest place that's ever existed because of a system that essentially says, if you put your capital, your savings at risk, okay, you will be rewarded to a high, a high rate, but most of your investments will fail. In other words, mm -hmm. when you look at new private businesses forming, okay, what do they do? What they're trying to do is they're trying to capture purchases, which they then pay to employees. Those employees pay taxes on their wages. Okay. So that finances the government at the same time, when that revenue goes to a company, that company is then able to uh, be economically productive, not only by employing people, but by encouraging consumer purchases by and large. And two thirds of GDP, the, uh, the gross domestic product in the United States is driven by consumerism, the purchase of things yep. essentially that are elective that we, that we don't need which is crazy, but that movement of capital, right? From the investor uh, through the employees yielding taxes and then uh, yielding profits for that company uh, essentially is the engine by which the US has experienced GDP growth over time. Okay, so who cares? Well, what that's allowed us to be is the literally the standard currency in the world. Okay. And if you're the standard currency in the world, the US dollar, what does that mean? It means literally that if you need more money, you can print it. If you are the fiat currency of the world, you're the default currency of the world. And so US hegemony is built on the fact that we increase GDP by encouraging consumer purchases through the formation of businesses. And that increase in GDP allows us to be the world standard in currency.
Okay. So does that, and it sounds, you know, it's funny. It sounds like there's a they there. Like there's somebody with like a Himalayan cat on their lap going like, yeah, put lasers on the dolphins. Right. And yeah, that it's not really it. It's the system itself that's driving this. And it's the tax code to a, to a large part that drives that. One of the other things that drives that perversely is the tax code. That is that once people become millionaires and billionaires, uh, they pay as a percentage of income less taxes because they are the moneyed class. They're paying capital gains rates. They're paying dividends rates. They're doing everything they can to use geo arbitrage to move their sources of income to places where they'll pay less. I think and it's worth saying, and I'm a little far afield here, so we'll bring it back. But one of the other interesting things is we say the, the wealthy pay less taxes as a percentage of their income. That's true. They also still pay the preponderance of taxes mm -hmm. in the sheer magnitude of dollars paid. Okay, so what does all this mean for you? You can look at that system and say, hey, it's suboptimal, right? It is, except it's yielded the, the most productive economic growth in any civilization in history. And so you can then make the choice, okay, do I fight against this and say, hey, I don't like this? And there are reasons to. Uh, or do you say, I think I'll participate <laughs> because that's right. going to benefit me and my family and, you know, to uh, whatever uh, element of patriotism you still have in your body in this country. Okay, so that's a good segue into the actual strategies, some of the actual uh, tactics to, as the rule says, pay as few taxes as you can. Um, and I guess I'll start. I'll start with two, two caveats. I've got a, I've got a couple strategies we're going to dive into, but two caveats. One, um, and this is probably a strategy. Uh, we're not tax experts. We're not tax accountants. We don't we don't play them on the internet. So go talk to an actual tax professional uh, before you do anything. And then second. Uh, what we're not saying is don't pay taxes. <laughs> what we're not saying is cheat on your taxes. The rule clearly says pay as few taxes as you can. Okay, so those are my two caveats before we dive into this. Um, I've got four strategies that you and I have chatted about before. Uh, let, and I'll just uh, give them first. And then we'll start with the first one and see where the conversation goes. So the four strategies, move to a low tax state. Number two, utilize tax advantage accounts. Number three, form an LLC. Number four, move income from active to passive. So lots inside each one of those, but let's go with the first one first. Move to a low tax state. Yeah, you have very little choice as to whether you pay federal taxes or not. Uh, obviously, there are ways to manipulate your, your federal tax burden, uh, but much more within your control is where you live. And so, uh, you know, Patrick, as a homeowner, you pay property taxes. Uh, you also may in your state pay income taxes. You also in your state may pay sales taxes uh, and you'll pay your state for your investment gains and your dividends. Well, there are some states where there is no sales tax, New Hampshire being an example where I live. Uh, and there's no income tax in New Hampshire being an example where I live and where dividend and interest taxation is being phased to zero like New Hampshire. <laughs> where I live. Uh, You're noticing a trend. Yeah, you may be sensing a trend in my thinking here. Uh, but if you look, you'll see that I believe, and, and this is directionally accurate, there are, I think, six or seven states with no income tax. Uh, and I think that we've got an unprecedented opportunity as knowledge workers with essentially a no geographic tether. If you don't need to be at your employer, you should probably move. 
and of course, there are other considerations. There are family ties, community networks, etc. But the number one thing you can do almost just immediately to change your tax burden is move. Uh, and so I did. You know, and one of the really interesting mm -hmm. things in Massachusetts, for instance, there's a 5% income tax on earned income. Well, there isn't one in New Hampshire. And if you move to New Hampshire and you never go to Massachusetts to work, for instance, you get that 5% back. Well, let's say you make $100,000 a year. What is that worth to you? Right? Uh, you know, it's worth somewhere on par of $5,000. That's a great raise for doing nothing other than moving your stuff. Uh, and I realized that, you know, it's funny, we have that, that HWT score. Yep. This is the one in wealth where people are like, I have never moved my location based on taxes. And in fact, Gilson, what are you talking about? This geo arbitrage thing, right. you know, and uh, I understand why people don't move. You know, you get roots and you and you and you put them down and you want to stay where you are. I'm just putting it out there that there are lots of free raises to be had. And it's not just through income tax. You need to look at your total tax burden at the local level and say, hey, where is this? Where is this good? Where is this bad? You know, it's really interesting. So for instance, uh, there are a couple really high tax states. New York state is one of them. Uh, Illinois is another. California is another. If you look at net migration patterns, within the United States over the last five years, what you see is that everybody moved from New York to Miami to Florida, where there's, and by everybody, I mean the money class, frankly, uh, moved to, to Miami and, and Fort Lauderdale and Tampa. Uh, and Illinois, you know, has, is showing these migrations to Florida. Texas is another place where there's just these huge inflows. So one of the interesting things is local, uh, states and municipalities set their tax code to encourage net inflow migration of people who are moneyed. Why? Because those people will pay the local property taxes. They'll be the people who don't buy the $200,000 house. They buy the $700,000 house and contribute to the tax base, right? So you can almost think about uh, taxes as well as a war for human capital waged by states and countries. And uh, you can participate. Let's go to the, the second strategy, utilize tax advantage. Uh, okay, okay. Utilizing tax advantage accounts. So uh, you probably know what these are. Uh, everybody listening probably knows about their a 401k and an IRA. So uh, both of those say basically you can contribute pre-tax money now. In other words, money will come out of your paycheck. You don't have to pay taxes on it. It can compound and grow in these investment accounts and you'll pay taxes on the uh, on capital when you withdraw it, when it's much larger. Okay. So uh, what this does is it lowers your your current tax burden. So if you, let's say your paychecks for $3,000 a pay period, uh, and you are putting uh, 500 of that in your 401k, you're only going to pay taxes on 2,500 of it in the near term. Of course, there are some disadvantages to that long term. So there's another kind of tax uh, of retirement savings account called a Roth. So you can have a Roth IRA, a Roth 401k. Those do the opposite. You pay taxes on the money now, but you don't have to pay any taxes on the growth. You don't have to pay any taxes on the withdrawals in the future. And uh, you can look this up. I mean, which you choose is based essentially on what your, your tax rate is now, your effective tax rate is now, and what you think it will be in the future. Uh, but the first thing is take advantage of those. You can put... Uh, 
$22,500 in 2023 uh, into a 401k. You can put $6,500 into an IRA. That essentially says you can shelter immediately $30,000 of your income. I want to draw your attention to something, though. You have to have the $30,000. So how do you get that? You earn as much as you can and you spend much less than you make. Any anything else with the tax advantage accounts worth? There are there or? are others, uh, and it pays to educate yourself on these. Health savings accounts are one. Yep. Uh, flexible spending accounts for healthcare are another. Uh, there are also um, plans that incentivize you to save for the future education of uh, a minor. I believe it's a four fifty six, but I'm not positive. I don't. I don't pay too much attention to that because it's simply not applicable to my situation. I think yep. in making sure that you are taking advantage of tax advantage accounts, it pays to have a CPA, somebody who can guide you uh, early and often as to what should be going where. Number three, form an LLC. And then I think there's some, some bullet points in there, but we'll start, we'll start there. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we talked earlier about how the tax code incentivizes business formation. Okay. Here's how. So as the owner of a company, not as the employee, but as the owner of a company, okay, you can elect to have all of the profit of that company flow to the bottom line as profit in a straight LLC, and you'll pay taxes on it like it's income. But if you form an LLC, and this starts to make sense when that LLC is making about $100,000, $150,000 a year in revenue, you can do what's called an S-corp election. And what an S-Corp election allows you to do is treat your LLC as a corporation for tax purposes, which means you can pay yourself what's called a reasonable salary. And then any remaining profit doesn't get taxed as income, it gets taxed as dividends. And we talked about mm -hmm. this with the top, top income tax rate being 37% and the dividend rate maxing out at 20%. That's a no-brainer frankly. And so if you can form an LLC, there's a couple things. There are lots of things that you can write off with in an LLC uh, in terms of spending to make that money. So the money that you invest in computers, hardware, people, uh, you know, creating essentially economic growth never gets taxed because you're spending it out. You're only getting taxed on, on profit. And then if you make an S-corp election, you can treat 50% uh, or so of your profit as dividends. And so you can see that there's an immediate incremental advantage to that. There's additional. So let's say that you form an LLC. And what I really mean isn't, let's not, like, let's not talk about the legal. Like you should own a business is yep. what this actually means. And if you own a business and you grow it to the point where it is, Pat, what we call an ATM or airplane money, where it makes mm -hmm. money regardless of your involvement, you get to sell it. Okay. When you get to sell it, guess what your gain is being taxed as? Long-term capital, capital gains. gains. Right? Yep. So now you're going to get a potentially a huge check, millions of dollars if you're really good at this, uh, and even billions, right? Uh, which is going to be subject to a, a tax rate that's about 50% of your income tax rate. So there's advantages to forming the business. There's advantages to structuring the business appropriately to pay as little of your profit as income as possible. There's incentive to bring in other people's capital to grow a business faster. And then there's an incentive to sell that business for a lot of, of dollars. And it's all backed by the tax code. Uh, now, you don't have to form 
Google or, you know, Al- Apple for this to be an advantage for you. Um, you and I are both actually involved in uh, the consulting profession in some way, shape or form. Right. And so people pay us for our expertise. Uh, and we both have the advantage as soon as you're making anything close to, again, $100,000, $150,000 a year on the top line of moving that, that to dividend income. And so that's a small, but that's a small, small business, something doing 100, 150 a year. And nearly anyone who has a skill that your employer is willing to pay you 75, 80, a hundred thousand dollars a year, you can go out onto the open market and sell that as a freelancer and take advantage of these things. This is probably a nod to a, lo- a longer conversation that we will have uh, later on um, at some point, but there's, uh, but it feels like a, it's, it's worth just pointing out because we've talked about it, I've talked around it a couple of times, which is what the ta- tax code incentivizes, who it rewards and what it rewards moving having the freedom, the flexibility, the ability to move to a low tax state, starting a business, an LLC, into an S-Corp, all of those move you towards from a place of employment to a place of entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Is that a natural, uh, is, is that a natural end to, or a natural end to this conversation, this broader conversation that you and I are having with Optimal Agency? Is that ultimately when you get down to the end of the road, or you get to, there will be a fork in the road and you will need to take this, that road toward, let's call it self-employment because that covers a lot of things versus work for time employment. Yeah. No is the, the briefest possible answer. You can work for somebody Mm -hmm. else. You can make a lot of money if you have specialized skills and you can save the majority of that money and you can just get to a place where you have so much accumulated wealth that you could not spend it all on your daily needs and you get to quit. That's a for, that's a way to agency. You can be in the garage woodworking. Like, you know, you can just be done if you if you like. The nice thing about inserting business ownership and entrepreneurship into that is I think you and I and a lot of our listeners are attracted to what we're talking about because of the freedom aspect. And what is freedom really? It's like, I do what I want. Like, don't tell me what to, mm-hmm. don't tell me what to do. And business ownership is this wonderful place of don't tell me what to do, uh, because you get to make up the rules wholesale. And if the market is willing to pay you for the product or service that you're putting out, that's the only validation. I mean, other there's obviously moral and ethical considerations here, but that's really the validation of is what you're doing right. And I think it's one of the things that always attracted me to entrepreneurship is I'm not going to a boss and saying, hey, boss, I did good, right? Pat me on the head and, and give me a raise. I'm going to the market and the market's saying, we're going to reward you with inflows of capital because you did the right thing and we're going to reward you today. You don't have to go and say, hey guys, here's what I did last year. You know, can I have a raise? So do all these things line up to entrepreneurship? I mean, I would encourage it. Absolutely. Uh, that said, there are people for whom it is not in their temperament to take that degree of risk. They want a job and I think you can get to agency within a job. Is your absolute level of agency going to be the same as it would be if you worked for yourself? Probably never. But will it be acceptable? Probably. The last uh, on our list of strategies here, move income from active to passive. Yeah, and, and that really comes back to what we were talking about with with our tax brackets here at the top of the, top of the uh, podcast. 
pay less taxes when more of your money comes in through capital gains, dividends, and interest. Right? That's the whole thing. And if you can get your understand that that's a snowball. Okay, so let's say 50% of my income comes in at a 20% tax bracket rate, 50% comes in at a, let's call it 40, just so the math's easy. My blended rate's now 30%. I'm keeping on average 70 cents of every dollar I make. I then invest that in, in passive income generating assets. Okay, what happens? Well, what happens is that blended tax rate marches down and down and down until the majority of my income, 80 or 90%, will be when I'm, you know, older, <laughs> uh, coming from these passive vehicles and my tax rate can be incredibly low. So here's an interesting one, right? Uh, you know what the, I love quizzing you on this because I know the answer is no, but <laughs> the, the tax rate on dividends, if you make less than $44,000 a year in adjusted gross income is zero. Okay. Okay. So if you could live on $44,000 a year and that $44,000 a year could come from dividends and interest, do you know what you would pay in taxes? Nothing. Zero. zero. Yep. Do you know that it is possible to live on $44,000 a year? Yes. Like now today maybe not with not maybe not with two boys but you know as uh, two kids <laughs> they eat they so eat much so much <laughs> right we'll talk about the victory garden later but uh, you know they, there's uh there's ways to do this so that you can have a, a huge amount of wealth generating the money you need to live so let's imagine you accumulate a million dollars right now you can go get a, a one-year t-bill from the treasury paying about 5.3 percent right? Over 5%. If you have a million dollars, that's $53,000 in passive income. Okay. That could do it. That alone could pay the bills and, you know, uh, total aside, but T-bills are only uh, taxed at the federal level, not the state level. So you would pay no state taxes on that income. And the first $44,000 of that, uh, you wouldn't pay uh, dividend taxes either. Talk about a wonderful scenario, you know, and you can kind of see this as a, as the magic endpoint of what we're talking about. If I can separate my time from my income, if I can be making passive, uh, monies, if I can be living way below my means modestly, in essence, I'm free. And I, I can't think of a better argument for frankly, saving, investing, and being really smart about taxation. Last thing I want to ask you about is, and you had mentioned it and I kind of joked about it, uh, tax professionals. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about what options are out there and why a person may want to uh, engage with a CPA, a tax professional versus doing their own taxes, right? You know, logging onto TurboTax when it's yeah. time. What are the advantages of paying somebody to help navigate this particular area of life? I want you to imagine that we're in the backyard playing a game. Okay, let's say it involves a ball and some nets just for, you know, the sake of setting the scene. And every 30 seconds, I change all the rules. So it's like playing a ball game with like a three-year-old, right? Yep. You're kind of like, actually, yep. now this is home base. This you're works. safe. Yeah. You're out. No, just kidding. Okay, now I need you to turn around. I'm going to throw the ball at you as hard as I can. Oh, I get 50 <laughs> points for that. You lost. Right. That is the... I've played that yeah, game. Yeah, I've played that game. That's the tax code. It, it, it literally changes constantly because it has executive oversight uh, from Congress 
primarily, uh, as well as obviously the regulatory uh, agency, the IRS promulgates what's called guidance. So they make up the rules and then they tell you, and then the rules are so opaque, they have to tell you what the rules mean. <laughs> and the rules change constantly. Okay, you can stay on top of that. It's possible. Um, or you can outsource staying on top of that. And I highly recommend the latter because when you outsource it, that person, it's their life to understand what's going on, what's changed, where the advantages are. Uh, people think, I don't have that much money. I'm not going to pay five or six or a thousand dollars to a CPA to do my taxes wrong because that CPA almost immediately is going to find ways for you to enjoy tax savings you're not considering currently because they're so up on the, the Byzantine rules. The other thing that's worth mentioning with tax professionals is really simple. We engage them at the wrong time. So your standard kind of uh, work for income human goes and talks to their CPA sometime if they're on it in January or February of the year taxes are due in April. It's too late. Yep. In other words, tax years, when you're filing your taxes in April, you're, you're filing them for the previous year. So anything that you could have done that your CPA could have recommended that you do to reduce your tax burden would have needed to be done in essence by December 31st of the prior year. Now that's not anything. So for instance, you can still make IRA and 401k contributions, uh, you know, almost right up until the deadline, I believe. Uh, but there are a lot of other more advanced strategies you simply couldn't take advantage of. So what that means is not only do I need to get a CPA, I need to be talking to them now about my daily tax uh, strategies so that when it comes time to file next year, right, I'm good to go. I, you know, I've already put in place the things that need to be in place. Anything else uh, on this, com uh, this conversation around this particular rule worth mentioning before we wrap up? A dollar is a dollar is a dollar that you keep. And so whether you keep it because you got a raise, whether you keep it because you didn't pay taxes on it, whether you keep it because you saved it, it's all the same. At the end, it is grist for the mill of your generation of passive income. And so pay attention to this. Odds are that it's worth thousands and thousands of dollars to you today to turn your focus onto your tax rates. Excellent. Okay. Thank you, John. Thank you, everybody out there for listening. If you want to learn more about Optimal Agency, head to OptimalAgency.co. You can read all of the rules of health, wealth, and time there. Be sure you are subscribed to the show wherever you are watching or listening to this. John and I will be back next week for another episode of Optimal Agency. <laughs>